Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts. And now part two of our interview with Bob Kuchenberg. After that, I went to the coach, Jerry Williams, who was a rookie that year for Jerry. Leonard Toast, by the way, was the owner of the, of the Eagles back then, and he was a Notre Dame guy. So he was a big contributor to Notre Dame, and I thought that might – I don't know what I thought. But anyway, <laughs> Jerry Williams was a rookie coach, and I went in to coach and uh, said, Coach, I, you know, I, I apologize. Uh, for making you waste a, a nice draft pick for me, but I, this is not for me. I always thought the NFL was was for me, but if this is what it is, um, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I I quit. And he said, "You, you, you know, why are you doing this? You've got a future here with us." I uh, no, I don't, Coach. I, I just, I'm, my heart's not in it. And he said, "Okay." He took my playbook, <laughs> and then I went to the phone booth and called Mom. Said, Mom, uh, this is Bob. Yeah, hey Bob, what, what what's happened? Uh, uh, did you get cut? Don't worry about it. Your brother got cut. Don't worry. No, nothing to worry. <laughs> no, no, Mom, I didn't. I didn't get cut. Um, but uh, uh, here, tell, talk to your brother Rudy. He's right here. Uh, no, Mom, I don't, I don't want to talk to Rudy. No, no, wait, wait. <laughs> Rudy gets on the phone. Says, Hey, Bob, don't worry about it. You got cut, huh? No, not exactly. <laughs> well, what do you mean? What the fuck? Did you get cut or did you not get cut? I quit. What you guys have just heard for the last 10 seconds is what I heard <laughs> for the, about a minute. <laughs> and finally he said, you what? You blankety blank, 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 blank. <laughs> well, don't. You're not coming home. I'll tell you that. So now I just sat in the phone booth crying. <laughs> And I had to go back to Jerry Williams and just say, yeah, I was just kidding, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> but I went through the motions uh, and, uh, you know, trying to get cut. And uh, finally did get cut on the last, I think it was the last cut. And then uh, got put on waivers. And the last waivers are irrevocable. And the Falcons picked me up because of my, you know, college career. And uh, the Falcons were a young team, uh, only, you know, a few years in the league, and they were already, uh, you know, a playoff contender. Plus, I had a couple of Notre Dame ex-teammates that were on the Falcons. And so, but um, Norm Van Brocklin was the coach, and he was, uh, you know, I, I guess he was a great, great quarterback. But he was a bastard. Uh, he was a drunk and a uh, lying son of a bitch. And uh, he uh, told me to, uh, Kuchenberg, well, you know, you, we like you. You're going to be on our team. We're going to put you on our taxi squad. We, you can't possibly learn our system by this week. But uh, go ahead. Because I had driven from Chicago, you know, from Gary, Hobart, down to Atlanta, 700 miles. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, go get your family and uh, the kids and bring them and get your wife and kids and bring them down. You're going to be on our cat squad. So I did. Drove back to Chicago or Gary. Then I rented a truck and put all my furniture in there and drove back down to Atlanta uh, only to get to the uh, locker room the next day and, and have a note there coming, uh, come see the coach. Uh, bring your book. That, by the way, is the death knell, you know? Yeah. If they, if they tell you bring the book, it's your history. <laughs> then a fucking Van Brocklin, uh, he didn't say much of it. He didn't, he didn't even do it, frankly. It was Pat Pepler, his personnel guy or whatever. Pepe Le Pew, I called him. Pat Pepler, little scrawny, bald guy who uh, had the uh, thankless job of having to give people their, their bad news. And then he tried to send us home without, without that week's pay. This has happened on a Thursday or a Friday. Uh, thank God another guy who was getting cut was a veteran and he knew that they owed us a week's pay and, uh, and a plane ticket. So between the Eagles, 
the Falcons. And then after that, I said, well, that's it. But I'm, you know, I'm, uh, that's it. I always thought my dream was pro football, but this is what it's all about. I, I don't need it. I've got a great degree from a great university and I'll just, uh, I'll just be a regular, regular guy. But then I turn on the television every Sunday. I'd see my brother and I'd see all the guys that uh, I played with and against and kicked their ass. And I, you know, I just said, you know what? I, uh, I got to try again. I got to try one more time, but you can't lay out of the NFL and for a whole year and not, and, and make it. So I signed on with the Chicago Owls of the Continental League. They played in Soldier's Field, which still held 120,000 people back then. The only game that we ever played there was a college all-star game, and I think maybe Army, uh, Army Navy or something every once in a while. It held 120,000 people, and uh, in attendance, we had we didn't have 120 people, <laughs> not thousand. <laughs> Basically, it was girlfriends and wives and all that kind of stuff. And inside, it had not been renovated yet, so it was archaic and and uh, rats everywhere. And so inside the cinder runway around the stadium, you know, under the under the stands, which is where you go to get to the locker room, uh, they had big pal- they had pallets of wood stacked with raw hamburger or meat of some type. And I thought, what the hell is that for? And they explained, well, that's for the cats. Cats? What do you want cats for? Well, they eat the rest. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my uh, history with the Chicago Owls. And I think I got paid $150 for two games. And then the team folded with five games left. And they said, okay, well, um, we can't pay you guys, but um, if you'll uh, continue to play the rest of the schedule, we'll, uh, we'll pay you, get you your money as soon as new, new stockholders, new uh, management, new ownership comes in. So uh, we did that. And uh, by the way, I'm still waiting for my check. I haven't gotten it yet. So. It's in the mail. <laughs> but there, therefore, 1969 which that was, was for the birds. That year was definitely for the birds. The eagles, the falcons, and the owls. <laughs> it can only get better, you thought. That's right. So um, I did study. Um, I never played guard in college, so I, you know, I, but I was in the pros. They wanted me as a guard, so I studied the drafts, and I didn't want to go to any team that had drafted a guard, you know, high. I also didn't want to go to any team that had all-star guards. So I boiled it down to Green Bay, believe it or not, after Kramer and Thurston uh, didn't have a very good line for a while there. And um, their line coach was from the same school that uh, – Alex Karras, you talked about earlier, from Gary, Indiana. So I thought, well, you know, I got to go to Green Bay because, you know, they're not very talented, very deep with guards there. And the coach is from Gary, and maybe uh, that might help. Then I bought, then I heard of the, the Miami Flippers or the Miami Porpoises. Now, what the hell is that team <laughs> in Miami that's called? Uh, I don't know, but they've got Flipper in the fucking end zone jumping uh, out of a pool. So uh, I called down there, and and uh, Don Shula had just signed with them. I tell it the other way, though. I always say, yeah, Don, Don and I came uh, came to the Dolphins the same year, and the fact <laughs> is, uh, I uh, I signed with the Dolphins in in March, and word spread throughout the land like wildfire. <laughs> and when it got to Baltimore. The head coach immediately resigned and came down to Miami to join me. And the rest is history. There you go. <laughs> Just for the chance to coach you. Who wouldn't want right. to? That's right. By the way, um, 
I, I do have to add uh, two or three of my PPPs, which are personal points of pride, and that is, um, you know what a tandem is, right? It's, it's a pair, right? A tandem. Yes. Um, and so in the tandems of head coach, NFL head coaches and their player, the tandem of Don Shula and Bob Kuchenberg have won more games than any tandem in NFL history. And, you know, as an offensive lineman, we don't keep stats on ourselves. Virtually everybody does. We're probably the only position in sports that doesn't keep statistics, whether it's interceptions or touchdowns or home runs or uh, three-pointers or whatever. They don't measure blocks. Coaches do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, TV doesn't. The media doesn't, right? No, so all that matters is... Did you win or did you not? Does it go in the left-hand column or not? That's what's important. So the uh, the winningest tandem of Don Shula and Bob Kuchenberg is something that I'm very proud of. Um, it's also the, uh, the winningest Miami Dolphin ever, 151 wins and 51 losses. That's a very good percentage. And there's a couple of other things that um, – Obviously, seventeen and zero is uh, is um, what I'm most proud of. I'm also the only NFL player in history to have be part of five Super Bowl teams with one franchise. So, well, I saw one statistic that said in 196 games you were called for holding like 15 times, which nowadays you get 15 holding calls. You know, in a season, easily. Yeah, that's right. How did you, and, how'd you um, avoid that? Was it technique, or were the refs looking the other way? No, it was actually <laughs> called Monty Clark. Monty <laughs> Clark was uh, my line coach, and he was a rookie line coach. He came to Miami in '70. Also, um, he shouldn't have. He was playing right offensive tackle for the Cleveland Browns in '69, and when Shula decided to come to Miami, he thought his line coach. Um, John Sandusky at Mal- at Baltimore would come along with him. But John decided to stay in Baltimore because he thought he'd get the head coaching job. So now all of a sudden it's time for virtually time for training camp and Shula has no line coach. Um, that, that he, you know, I'm sure the Dolphins had a line coach, but nothing that the Shula would want to keep. Yeah. So Shula had played in Cleveland and uh, knew Blanton Collier, uh, who was then the coach, and he called Blanton and told him of his uh, situation. And Blanton said, well, you know what, uh, Coach uh, Don, uh, I've got Monty Clark here. He uh, He's still probably got a year or two left in his playing career, but he wants to go into coaching. I know that. Let me uh, Let me hook you up with him. And that's how Monty Clark came to the Dolphins as a substitute for John Sandusky. Did Monty, Monty Clark, go ahead. No, did Monty Clark put that line together, or was it Shula? Absolutely. No, it was Monty Clark. And, in fact, I would go as far as saying the greatest acquisition that that my, that's ever happened in – Miami Dolphins history was was not Don Shula, but actually Monty Clark, because Monty Clark took five vagabonds who all of us had been cut uh, from some other team. Norm Evans, a right tackle, had been uh, let loose by the Houston Oilers in the early days of the NFL. See, the Dolphins were only formed in 66, so we were only four years. I mean, that was the fifth year of the Dolphins when, when we all came down there. And they were, uh, I guess, 3-11 and 11, uh, in in 69. So we had uh, Norm Evans at right tackle, Larry Little, who'd been let loose uh, by the San Diego Chargers, uh, Jim Langer, who'd been let loose by the Cleveland Browns, me, and then the left tackle was Wayne Moore, 
who was cut by the 49ers. But Monty Clark used to play before the Cleveland Browns. He played with the 49ers, and so he knew he had spies in Cleveland and spies in uh, San Francisco, and they told him about this Jim Langer. He said, hey, uh, I don't know who the spy was, but he said, uh, we got to cut this kid, uh, but he's, he, we're going to put him on our cap squad. Well, the last cut of the of the training camp, you know, is uh, no reclaiming, you know, so you can't go back. And so when they cut Jim Langer, we picked him up. When they cut Wayne Moore, we picked him up. Uh, they San Francisco tried to sneak him through by uh, putting Solomon Moore on waivers, but Monty spied spies told that that was Solomon Wayne Moore who played college <laughs> basketball. <laughs> so anyway, all five of us were uh, you know worthless, and this guy taught us. Uh, Everything. Monty Clark is the greatest teacher that I've ever been associated with uh, in any level of uh, of my life. And uh, without Monty Clark, Bob Greasy doesn't do anything. Like, I mean, there was a nucleus in Miami. We had Greasy, we had uh, Zonka, Bonacani, Dick Anderson uh, was already there. Um, you know, somewhat Larry Little was there, but. Um, Monty Clark put that line together, and without that line, you have nothing. I mean, what happened to Larry Zonka when he left the great Miami Dolphins line to go to the World Football League? Not much. He went to the Memphis Southman. Yeah. Got a couple of million bucks or a million bucks or whatever. Yeah, that, that was when a million was, was money. Yeah, it was real money. They put the money on the on the table literally the night before and said it would be gone by sunrise. I don't blame him, but when he went to Memphis, he sat the bench. They had a uh, Willie Spencer was the guy's name, played fullback, and did a lot better than Larry Zonka. See, Zonka, if Larry Zonka didn't have the line in front of him, he didn't have Larry Little and Jim Langer and Bob Kuchumer in front of him, he's not going to do anything. But he can't get the first two yards. But if we get him two yards and momentum, he'll turn two yards or more specifically, precisely, three yards is a loss. We consider three yards or two yards or one or nothing as a negative. But four yards or more is a plus. The most important down in football is not third down. Not when you play like the Dolphins did. In our world, first down was important. Give me four yards on first down, and I'll beat your ass all day long. And that's what we did. Kept our defense off the, off the field. A lot of games we had the ball for 38, 39, 40 minutes out of 60. And um, when Larry went to the Memphis South and this Willie Spencer, who could hit the hole quicker, you know, he could get to the get to it quicker. Um, and then when the World Football League folded, Larry went to the New York Giants. Remember that? Yep. And uh, the only thing noteworthy out of Larry and the Giants, they weren't very good, was when he and Joe Pasarczyk, his quarterback, <laughs> who uh, collaborated on a, the infamous fumble that went 99, 99, 97 yards the wrong way to lose a game. <laughs> You do remember that, right? Yes. So my point is that Larry Zonka was nothing without his line. But once he, once we got him the first couple of yards, he was the best that I've ever seen. Um, well, I'll take that back. I think maybe uh, Earl Campbell. But anyway, he was wonderful at turning two yards of momentum into four yards or five yards or six yards. Never 20, never never like that. But uh, he made it virtually impossible to stop Zonka with his, uh, with his head of, with his uh, momentum that his line got him uh, to anything less than four yards. Yeah. And, and well, if you don't do that, 
your defense is on the field all day long, and the Dolphins just eat you up. All because of Monty Clark. Yeah. And then when the the defense concentrated on Zonka, you had guys like Mercury Morris who who could get you that uh, 50, 60, 70 yards at uh, one handoff. Yeah, absolutely. And Jim Kick. I mean, let's be uh, thorough here. That position was was, uh, held by Jim Kick in 1970 and 71, and then Mercury Morris was sitting the bench and not liking it. Uh, no one does, <laughs> if you're uh, worth anything. And Mercury's and, uh, not one to talk. He's very quiet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So you can imagine. But uh, he kept bitching and bitching, and finally in 72, they split that. Uh, you know, first down, typically it would be uh, uh, Mercury. But in passing situations, uh, no halfback in football was as good or better than Jim Kick coming out the backfield to catch that little uh, halfback weak side pass. Um, and then also a good short yardage runner. Kick was also a good yeah. blocker, which Mercury was not. Zonka was not, believe it or not. Zonka, as long as he had the football uh, under his arm, he'd, knock the, he'd give you the bone. He'd knock the dog shit out of you. But, if he was having a block for Mercury or <laughs> his buddy, Jim Kick, no way. He was a wimp. <laughs> I heard that from several people that the only person who could stop Paul Warfield was Don Shula. Um, yeah, and, and, and I don't know uh, why. I mean, obviously, he only caught 29 passes in our perfect season. And the reason for that is uh, Paul Warfield, by the way, here's a good quote, is the Finest football player, best football player I've ever been in a huddle with at any level. Um, Paul was a Big Ten broad jump champion. If he chose to go to the Olympics as a broad jumper, he would have won that. Paul Warfield was unbelievable. Um, and uh, and like you say, the only one that could stop him was Don Shula. But obviously, he, put, he flanked Paul out on the left sideline. And not one player, but two players. You put a, you got to put a strong safety on them, and maybe the free safety or whoever. I don't know. But um, so now you've got him and and two of the enemy out there. That means we have ten in here, and you only have nine. And we have Langer, Little, and Kuchenberg and Zonka. How in the fuck are you going to stop that? <laughs> you aren't. No. No. Now, Warfield struck me as a guy who didn't run as much as he just sort of floated down the field. He was so smooth. He was. He was. uh, His pirouette against the Raiders is, I don't know. I I mean, you don't want to use too many superlatives. He caught a pass against the Raiders on, I think it was Monday Night Football, in the Orange Bowl, and, uh, and just did a... A pirouette. I mean, there's no other way of, 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 he was so graceful. Just unbelievable. And, and he'd also knock your dick off. He'd block back. Unlike a lot of these, you know, almost all the receivers nowadays, they, they won't block for each other. Warfield would knock your dick loose. And we had Howard Twilley on the other side. Um, obviously not nearly, uh, the talent of Warfield, but, a great, great blocker, and never dropped a pass. He had better hands than Paul. I mean, Howard Twilley, if you got the ball, if he touched the ball, if he could touch the ball, he had a completion. Yeah. And um, so so there you go. I mean, you, uh, there's a team of, uh, I mean, who are you going to, how are you going to stop everybody? Yeah, and Twilley was a the guy they would send over the, the middle, too. And, uh, sure. Yeah, he didn't, they, he didn't he, seem to mind that at all. Absolutely not. No, he uh, caught the first touchdown in Super Bowl seven, the undefeated team. Um, but, I mean, that's just one. He fought, And he was here, uh, I think his first year with the Dolphins was 66 or 67. He may have been an original Dolphin. He was definitely here before, before Shula got here. But, um, yeah, he would knock your dick loose. And that's why, you know, we were a running team, and uh, the last time the Dolphins have won a Super Bowl 
The quarterback threw seven passes and completed six, maybe five. Greasy uh, was six for seven or five for seven against Minneapolis or against Minnesota. Interesting how the game has changed, isn't it? You know that that those that number of passes isn't even uh, a quarter's worth nowadays. Now I can give you a good story um, about the preparation. Uh, what really turned Super Bowl eight into a rout, and um, just like this coming Sunday, we in here in Miami are going to be honoring the real most valuable player from Super Bowl seven. Um, record history shows Jake Scott won the award, right? Right. He got the trophy, two interceptions. And Jake, don't want to take it away from him. He's a great player, uh, riverboat gambler, smart, tough guy. Um, loved to have him on your team, loved to go drink with him, and, and had a great game. But Manny Fernandez had 17 tackles in the game, most of them unassisted. I mean, he was in the backfield uh, on that quarterback, um, the Redskins quarterback, uh, not Sonny Jurgensen. Sonny sat the bench, the other guy, but, um, you know, played played a lot of ball for the Redskins. Anyway, Manny Fernandez was the real MVP of that game, but they don't give it award to linemen, do they? No. They give it to safeties or quarterbacks or running backs or receivers or whatever. And so uh, they gave it to Jake Scott. Well, this this Sunday, Manny's going to be uh, honored by being put up in the Wall of Honor here in Miami. And I can't, can't wait to be there to share um, in his uh, magic day. But the same thing happened a year later in Super Bowl VIII. Larry Zonka was named the most valuable player of that Super Bowl because he rushed for a then-record 145 yards. The actual, the real MVP of that Super Bowl is the guy you're talking to right now. And here's how it happened. Um, Alan Page, I've already told you, that was his conversation, right? Right. Of the year that he had being named the MVP, only time in history. Okay, well, he, uh, to, to, to be named that, I mean, that means he was fucking eating people alive. And um, he lined up in a left-handed stance, and which means his first step is with his left leg, and that's right towards the quarterback. So it's easier for him to be extremely quick with that inside move than it would be for a right-handed stance, correct? You're right. You, you, you follow, okay? Yes. No, I'm left. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we knew that. But I studied and studied. I mean, I did it anyway. That's what I did. That's how I made my uh, my career. I probably studied more uh, film than anybody except possibly Greasy, who uh, took film home. But um, so now we've got two weeks to prepare for the Vikings, and I've got two weeks for Alan Page. So I start, uh, I would, um, after we lifted weights after practice, everybody else would go home uh, and I would sneak into the coach's locker room and steal a couple of beers out of the refrigerator, wrap them in a towel, and then come back in my film room and watch watch uh, Alan Page or or um, Harvey Martin or whoever my opponent was uh, coming up. So I began to notice something about Alan Page. What is it that enables him to go inside so quickly? And and you can't block him by the book. You can't zone block him. A lot of our pass plays or run plays, frankly, called for a zone block, which means, in this case, Langer and me would double-team Alan Page and the middle linebacker. Those are our two responsibilities. So if the, if the Allen goes to the inside, uh, you're supposed to hand him off to the center and then take the linebacker or vice versa and all that stuff. Well, that's what the book called for. You know, block it, block it by mm-hmm. the book. 
Well, Alan Page was eating the fucking book, <laughs> obviously. I went to Monty Clark after studying him intensely, and I said, Monty, I think I've got something. And I talked to Monty. I showed him, look, look at his inside foot. A normal stance, guys, is when um, your left toe is uh, the same air level as your right instep, right? Halfway through your right foot. Okay. Or at the, at the worst, at the extreme, your left toe would be equal, parallel to your right heel. That would be normal. Well, when Alan Page was going to go inside, his inside foot was deeper than the heel. It was deeper by about another half of uh, the other foot. And so if you looked real closely on film, you could see that, barely. And then maybe you might be imagining things because you're hoping, you're hoping, oh, my God, there's got to be a reason. I, you know, why is he able to eat the book like this? Well, I told Monty Clark that, and I said, Monty, here's what I want to do. You see that? You see this? You see that? He said, yeah, Cooch, I, you know, I, I think I agree with you. I think I see what you're talking about, but... You gotta block you gotta block him by the book. I said, Monty, he he eats the fucking book. Look what he does to the book. What do we have to lose? He said, Well, I'll go I'll go talk to the boss, see what he says. Next day Monty comes back <laughs> says, Cooch, talk to the boss. And he not only said no, he said, Fuck no. <laughs> Lock it by the goddamn book. So, okay, all right. Now, we received the opening kickoff, and uh, first couple of plays uh, would look normal. So we blocked it like we were supposed to. And I think it was third and seven, or third and five, or third and four, something like that. And sure enough, there it is. I saw it. Said, oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and I blocked it by the book and Langer never had a chance. I mean Langer's gotta snap the ball. And by the time the ball is hitting Langer in the ass, fucking Page just already tapped him. He just about took the handoff from Greasy instead of Jim Kick taking it. Nailed kick, there was a fumble that we recovered, but that was it. I just fucking lost it. So, and I just turned to the sideline and went to Shula and I did this, you know, gave him the, uh, uh, the gesture of, uh, up years with, you know, with your right arm. You can hear what I'm doing, right? Yes. <laughs> Fuck you, Shula. Fuck you, Shula. And that's it. I lost it. I saw red and, um, locked it my way the rest of the day. Alan Page never touched another ball carrier all day long was so frustrated. I mean, you know, if, if I was supposed to go somewhere else on a play, I wouldn't go. I'd just stay with Paige. And he got so frustrated, never never touched the ball carrier, any ball carrier, the rest of the day. But about a minute and a half left in the game, uh, he was so frustrated that we had a sweep where Mercury carried the ball to the left near the sideline. And instead of chasing Mercury, he went over and cold cocked Greasy, who was just standing there. Well, I saw that, of course. So I cold cocked Paige. <laughs> and we got into it. And he got ejected. So Alan Page, in one fell swoop, went from being the only NFL defensive player to ever win the MVP award to being the only NFL player in the history of the Super Bowl to be ejected. Did he ever figure out what you, how you uh, stopped him? Did he ever know your little trick or not? Uh, I I couldn't tell you. I mean, Alan Page is fine man. He's a Supreme Court justice. You know right. that, right? right? Yes, in yes. Minnesota. He's, he's no... Uh, He's no uh, Michael Brown. I mean, <laughs> this guy's a uh, 
a for real guy. Um, and uh, credit to his to his race, to uh, to Notre Dame, to everything. Um, but no, I, I don't know. Uh, um, to my knowledge, we never discussed it. <laughs> Did Coach Shula give you credit? Oh yeah, yeah. With a <laughs> couple of minutes left in the game, you know, when you've got a game uh, made uh, and you want to honor some of the players, he uh, he called Zonka out. And you know, so everybody gives up applause, and he gives them a big hug on the sideline. And then he called me up, did the same thing with me. So that was uh, his way of honoring uh, what I had just uh, done, in spite of his decision. <laughs> and I, I said, I didn't really mean fuck you, Shula. <laughs> and he probably said, Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You did. And I said, Yeah, I know, I did. <laughs> What's it going to take to, to get NFL. you in? Yeah, what's it going to take to get you into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? That I don't know. That I don't know. Did you? you know, I've, I've, I've read some accounts that one of the problems is you play too long, so that the guys who are on the offensive line with you, you know, and, yeah. And, not only you know, the offensive line. You're absolutely right. I mean, all those, all those, all those guys got in, and they, you know, how can it's like how can you add another dolphin? It's sort of like how can you add another Packer? How can you add another Steeler? Yeah, sort of thing. That's the uh, yeah. You hear that uh, Jerry Kramer suffers right. from the same thing, and uh, and Greenwood, Elsie yeah. Greenwood, Elsie, yeah. But um, it's true. I mean, I played 15 years. Jim Langer. Played nine years, so you got to be out of the of the game five years before you're even eligible. So Langer, who went in to the hall his first year of eligibility, he and Paul Warfield also went in first year of eligibility. They went in the same year. I think that would have been uh, eighty nine or something. Um, you know, and so the biggest the biggest. Um, they were in the Hall of Fame, and I'm still playing. And so the biggest rap that I hear is that ah, we don't want another. We can't put the whole fucking team in the Hall of Fame. I mean, how many Ed Pope? How many? Uh, you know, every year Ed Pope would say, "Oh, and this is the greatest Dolphin ever." <laughs> and they finally said, "Ed, we've heard this too many times. Shut the fuck up." <laughs> but yeah, I mean, too many Dolphins. You've got Little uh, and Zonka. And Greasy, and Warfield, and Langer, and um, Onakani. So, yeah, probably uh, forgetting. Uh, I don't know, but anyway, yeah, too many, uh, too many, too many, uh, too many dolphins from that team. What I find amazing about Coach Shula is is how he changes whole style. You went from a running team, and all of a sudden you get another number thirteen, Dan Marino coming in, and you become a passing team. Um, to what success? No, you're right. You made the Super Bowl in Marino's second year in 85, 85 Super Bowl, I believe, and never went there again. Right. Yeah. And um, didn't even, I mean, they made one Super Bowl and didn't even come close to any others. And that's because, uh, let's see, what are we doing here? This is a uh, a taped Radio program, right? It's right. Play in Chicago. Yes. All over, uh, all over the world. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to be careful. I don't want to be overly critical, but uh, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, uh, especially me. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, as as Don Shula was the youngest coach, rookie coach in the history of football, he was uh, head coach of a. Colts at age 33. I think that's still probably the record. Obviously, he's the winningest coach at 347. But as he got older, that that fire down below, you know, that burning drive that he had in the early years with us, um, he didn't, you know, he, now, now instead of being, I don't know how old uh, if he was a uh, coach, uh, 33. I don't know how old he was in 1970, but you know maybe he was 40 some or something. But by the time Marino got there, 82, Shoes was he, he no longer had quite the 
that drive, that iron jaw. I mean, his nickname was the jaw. You know that, right? Yes. Yeah. Those crossed arms and that huge jaw. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would take on uh, <laughs> take on all takers. I mean, unless you were crazy, you wouldn't uh, <laughs> respond. I mean, you'd do what he said. Do what the man says and good things happen. But by that time, he'd lost a little bit of that. And Dan Marino, being the uh, aerial force that he was, uh, took over control of the Dolphins uh, to the point where he ran the show. He ran the show, and Marino never liked to run the ball. Um, I'll tell you that I only played. I was his captain in 82 and 83. And then in 84, I was on injured reserve. But in 82 and 83, Marino, um, whether it was the films from practice that we watch after practice or films from the game, um, you'd have special teams. We'd all watch that film roll. And then we'd split into two different rooms, defense in one and offense in the other. And then you split the run plays on one reel, and then the pass plays on the other reel. So now you're here in the offensive film room, and uh, you've got everybody in offense, the, the linemen and the, and the backs. And during the passing reel, Marino would be very active. Wait, back that up, back that up. Okay, Matt Moore, don't break that off at 9, break it off at 11. Um uh, who else we got? Uh, yeah, Clayton Duper. Yeah, Clayton. Okay, Clayton, break. Do that Y at 13 yards. Run that back. Let me see that again. Okay, uh, Mark, here's what you should have do. Next time, let's do this together. I'll hit that spot. I'll throw at the number, blah, 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 blah. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then, now the film reel is done, and you put on the run reel. Guess what number 13 does? He fell asleep? <laughs> no. He gets up, gets a, sticks a newspaper under his arm, and goes and takes a shit for an hour. <laughs> Doesn't even watch the run reel. So, do you understand now why the Dolphins couldn't run the ball? The quarterback, the-, the quarterback thought he just had to hand the ball, and he didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah. He was more interested in touchdowns and passing yardage than, than wins. His winning, the other thing is, I have uh, 151 wins and 51 losses. And that's the best Miami Dolphins record ever. Now, technical there. That's not the most wins ever. Dan Marino who came in in a 16-game season and played 17 seasons, whereas uh, virtually all of my my seasons were 14-game seasons. But Marino, I'm 151 and 51, 200 and, uh, 202 games. Marino has two more wins. He's 153 wins. Guess how many losses? He probably has 150. 91. 91. So he's 153 and 91, and I'm 151 and 51. So he's got 40 losses more and two wins. In fact, his winning percentage is not acceptable. I mean, that's in the low, he's in the 600s. That's, that's unacceptable that's under a, Shula. That's, that's nine and seven every year. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's um so there you go. And he was cheap too because he bought his line in what isotoner gloves, and Eric Dickerson <laughs> bought his line Rolexes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I aggravated his uh, lineman all the time. They go, yeah, <laughs> we know. When you talk to Dwight Stevenson <laughs> or Richmond Webb, they go, we know. We remind them. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> The White House. I know you mentioned you don't like talking okay, about Okay, if you take, um, take Marino's uh, winning percentage, 59.4. That doesn't happen. I mean, that, that's that's not even playoff. That, I mean, that's that's a disgrace. 
but he's an idol down there in Miami. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, who's bigger in Miami, him or Shula? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, their their names are both, I mean, it's, uh, I think the stadium's on Shula Way. I mean, like you said, for a guy who only went to one Super Bowl, didn't win any, you think that Shula would just dwarf him with the amount of Super Bowls he won? Yeah, but I was just talking earlier today. I mean, Coach Shula, I, uh, God bless him. I was with him at the Miami Touchdown Club, uh, last Monday, two days ago. Um, he's, he's getting up there. You know, he's in a wheelchair. Right. And, um, you know, he's not out there uh, promoting. And so soon, uh, somebody was telling me that, you know, his, their 16-year-old child doesn't even know who Don Shula is. Yeah. And uh, so time moves on. I have so a question. I don't know. I mean, I don't know um, uh, what – and I don't know that it matters. Um, Dan Marino, and I consider him a friend now. I've gotten over um, – until this interview. <laughs> <laughs> gotten over uh, – I mean, I used to uh, – it was pretty – it was common knowledge that uh, – of my feelings and I didn't hold them, hold them back. And so Dan knew and a lot of people knew that of my feelings and, um, but it is what it is. I mean, you're paid there to win. I'm paid to, uh, to help do whatever I can do to, uh, to help the team win. That's why I played every offensive line position. If we needed uh, help, uh, against Harvey Martin, uh, the great end from the Dallas Cowboys, uh, then I would play left tackle. If we needed help against Randy White, I'd play left guard. If we needed help as a center, I'd play uh, center. Um, when uh, our long snapper retired after the 73 season, um, we didn't, you know, so I taught myself the long snap and uh, became a long snapper in the Pro Bowls. Uh, even though Jim Langer <laughs> was our center, he was in the Pro Bowls, and Mike Webster of the Steelers, uh, he was in the Pro Bowls. I was a better snapper than either one of them, and they said, hey, Cooch, you do this. You're the, you're the snapper. But I had, uh, you know, I played third base in baseball, so I had a, you know, a gun for an arm. I think it's safe to say you're probably, not probably, you're the only NFL player to have ridden in a gunny sack on his father's back in a rodeo clown act? I would think that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I would think what, that's true. What, what, what now, was my brother, that? Brother Rudy, of course, played for the Bears and Packers, and I've already told you what Mike Ditka thinks of him, right? Right. Yes. Um, and so <laughs> this is true. Um, we're the only... Rudy and Bob Kuchenberg are the only two uh, brothers in the history of the NFL whose father accused them of cowardice for choosing their profession. I mean, my father was a human cannonball, was a rodeo bullfighter, professional boxer, a red iron uh, guy on the building, you know, skyscrapers, and... Um, Pound for pound, the toughest man I've ever known. So when he called uh, Rudy and I and said, you guys are pussies for playing in the NFL. All we could do was say, you're right, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted you guys to be human cannonballs? (laughs) Well, I don't know, something tougher than the NFL, I guess. Lucky he didn't play professional football. He might have killed somebody. Here's another. <laughs> All right. Cannonball. Human cannonball. Back then, you, the cannon is on your far left. The net is on the far right. Not a big deal, except that in between those two locations are side-by-side Ferris wheels and a tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to come out of the cannon. Of course, and the G's are so tremendous, you're really unconscious. You've got about three seconds to uh, wake up, brush your teeth, uh, shave, and get ready to land. <laughs> so 
one time dad landed and they shoot once a day, every day, uh, twice on Sunday. No, once a day, every day, twice on Saturday, and then had Sunday as moving day. Now, that doesn't make any sense. People go to a carnival on Saturday. So, yeah, twice on Sunday, and then Monday was a moving day. So, Dad landed wrong, landed poorly in the net. And you're supposed to, when you when you come out of the cannon, I, I guess about when you're over the first Ferris wheel, you uh, wake up and you say, oh, wait, don't panic, don't panic. Tuck and roll. Tuck and roll, just like diving off a high dive. You know, you tuck and roll. Cross your arms, tuck and roll. The, last, the worst thing you can do is grab, which is, of course, your instinct. You grab at anything, you know, grab. <laughs> so Dad landed poorly, bounced out of the net, and uh, broke his neck. Wow. Not, not to the point where he was paralyzed, but to the point where he didn't think he wanted to uh, shoot the next day. <laughs> so he turned to one of his six brothers. My dad's name was Rudolph. And there was Vilmer, Adelbert, Robert, and Alfred. He, and dad was the older brother, so he was the boss. Toughest guy of them anyway. And he turned and said, any, 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 Alfred, Alfred. You're in. <laughs> Why me? Why me? Why not Adelbert? Why not Wilmer? You're in, Alfred. Well, Alfred almost, but not quite, cleared the last Ferris wheel. Ooh. <laughs> he Ouch. landed in the top booth. Landed in the top booth, which fortunately was top seat, which fortunately was empty. And then he uh, fell from that down to like, couple of them below that and then below that and below that. And then when he uh, got to the ground, my dad was there to catch him. So um, he lived. He lived, uh, you want to call it a normal life. They basically took uh, about two-thirds of his ass and put it on his face to replace his missing. Uh, he cut his face off on the nose down. Mm. And uh, so um, his ass functioned okay on his face. No meaning in the word that space. <laughs> that does it for this week's edition of Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. We would like to thank our guest, Bob Kuchenberg, and our executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. 